0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Mix Daniel Madge and Matthew Watkins. There you are. Okay. I'm glad that made sense to you. It wasn't just me. Okay. We're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. And um, I want to speak to you about Jonah and his story. Act 1. Scene 1. And what do you know? God comes to Jonah and commands him to go. Go, says the Lord, to Nineveh great. Tell them plainly, be frank about their fate. They're fighting and feuding. It's well reputed. They live as if I don't exist. They're clearly deluded. Go to them, Jonah, to the Ninevites. Explain to them their sins and read them their rights now Jonah a prophet and a true one at that instead of obeying he flees like a rat to Nineveh my lord that terrible place they are your enemies they're an utter disgrace I'll be danged if I go there to tell them of you they'll repent you'll forgive just like you always do so instead of Great Nineveh to Tarshish, he ran, all to elude God's word, God's great rescue plan. But the thing about God is, what I really should say, he gets what he wants. You can't stand in his way. Act two. Act one, scene two, and wouldn't you guess it? There's a boat. It's ready and waiting for Jonah to make a quick exit. The boat had some sailors, they usually do, but they didn't know God, not even one of that crew. A storm arose, a pretty big one to be fair, and the boat was in trouble, the sailors in utter despair. But Jonah was sleeping way below deck. Who caused this disaster? cried the sailors. We better had check. So they cast lots. To find out which one, the waves and the wind with whom it had come. And the lot fell on Jonah, who seemed not to care, but the sailors were outraged and he fell under their glare. Who are you, you stranger? Where are you from? Where is your homeland? And what have you done? Hello. They were outraged, trust me. I'm Jonah. I'm a Hebrew, the people of God. And this storm, just bang on. It's my firing squad. My God, he's the one who made the land and made the sea. But I've rebelled, disobeyed him, and I'm trying to flee. There's nothing else for it. He won't be ignored. To save your own lives, you've got to throw me overboard. The sailors were shocked. Can we do such a thing? If he's a God who created, wouldn't killing you be a sin? But try as they might, they could no longer fight. The storm just grew hungrier, wilder, increasing their plight. So they took hold of Jonah. And with a heave and a hoe over the side into the sea, he did go. Forgive us, O God, maker of heaven and earth and the seas. Don't hold us accountable. We've done as you pleased and in an instant the storm calmed and the sailors they knew from now on it was god their worship was due and as that act closes as that curtain comes down our fleeing prophet is starting to drown but the story's not over there's more to the tale so god sends a rescue in the form of a whale have you read this before Act 2, scene 1. And be warned, it's quite smelly. He's half eaten, he's half digested, and he's in the sea creature's belly. Things aren't all bad. Jonah's not drowning, and he's been reflecting on God for three days and counting. I've come to my senses. At last I can see the storm wasn't judgment. You were rescuing me. As I fled your command, I wasn't just moving away. I was abandoning my God, my Lord, the great Yahweh. You rescued me once by sending that gale. And you rescued me twice by sending a whale. Now, Lord, I get it. Salvation's for you. Rescue me a third time and a sacrifice you'll be due. To you, to the great one, to the rescuer of me, to the one who brings rescue on land and at sea. I'm so glad I've had to have one of these. We don't have one of these in Amford, so uh, I'm chuffed with this. (laughs) If you couldn't tell, Jonah was learning. Small steps at least. If he couldn't be a prophet, he'd try his hand at being a priest. But God wasn't finished with his reluctant preacher so he commanded the vomit of the giant sea creature act three scene one and what do you know God comes to Jonah a second time and commands him to go again says the Lord go to Nineveh great warn of destruction of their terrible state Jonah a prophet one who went astray this time obeys God And sets off on his way. Fair warning, I give you, all you Ninevites. Because of your evil, you've got 40 more nights. The great God of Israel, King of heaven on earth, you've rejected him. You've ignored him, he who gave you birth. You all live your own ways without even a thought to the one who created and lovingly brought a people out of Egypt with terrible might. You've got 40 more days and 40 more nights. And the people responded to Jonah. No, they responded to God. Jonah's preaching was important, but it was the Lord God who gave the prod. They listened to God, repented, turned back from their ways. And they cried out to Yahweh, to the king of all days. From the highest to the lowest, from the king to the cows, there was total repentance. They all fasted and vowed. They vowed to stop fighting and evil, uh, backbiting. They vowed to stop violence and vicious backbiting. The Lord God, he heard them. He heard their loud cry and compassion, he showed them, they'd no longer die. Real repentance was witnessed that day. Repentance that goes further than the things that we say. They didn't just turn from the things that they did, but they trusted in God and in him they hid. But just as the story, its high point is reached, we go back to Jonah, the prophet now bleached. Act three, scene two, and we zoom in a bit to a chit-chat between the Almighty and his preacher unfit. You make me so angry, I wish I could die. I knew you'd forgive them. It's your compassion I decry. It's this that I feared when I first went astray, that I'd preach, you'd convict, convict, and they'd all get away. Get away with being people I wouldn't choose, as brothers and sisters whose sins you'd excuse. They are my enemies. The lowest of the low, but now you forgive them, you're making friends from my foes. Jonah was angry; that was plain to see. But how would God, re- God how would God react? What would be His decree, dear, dear Jonah, my prophet? You're stubborn at best. But to help you to understand, I'll give you a test. I'll grow a big plant in under a day, and in its great shade, I want you to stay. How does that feel? Are you comfortable there? Yes, Lord. Thank you. I'm happy, did Jonah declare. But God wasn't finished with his simple test. Next came some wind and a worm to digest digest all of Jonah's shelter, all of his aid, and to leave him to faint in the heat of the day. What's wrong now, prophet? What's with the frown? Because, answered Jonah, you should have left me to drown. Is it right that you're angry over that simple plant? As if I'm a genie your wishes to grant, you cared for that plant, Even without your own labour. Now consider me. The great God. The creator. I made it grow. I gave life to that seed. As for you, you did nothing. It may as well have been a weed. And not just plants and bushes and trees. I created everything. Everything that breathes. Should I not care. For Nineveh great. One hundred and twenty thousand souls with a terrible fate should i not care should god care should god care that's the story of jonah and that's the question that we're asked as it closes shouldn't god care what is the book of jonah all about Uh, You could read it in, I think, 10 minutes. Let me just show you it in my Bible. It's there in case you were wondering which page to turn to. And it literally is over and done with by the time that you've turned to it. And if you read it, what would you say that it was about? Well, you might say that it's about the sovereignty of God. That is, everything he says goes. You see that in spades. It could be about the power of God that no matter what he wants to control... From storms to whales, he is control. He has power over it. It could be about his grace and God's great mercy. Because time and time again, we keep seeing people who don't deserve his help finding it. What do you think the whole book of Jonah, that story that I just shared with you, is about? Have a look this week. Read it. It won't take you long. You'll see all your favorite bits there. Swallowed by a whale, vomited by a whale, that's pretty much all we remember from the story. But if you read it, you'll notice that chapter 4 really, really stands out. Chapter 3 ends with an entire city repenting and turning and trusting in God. It is proper revival. It speaks about the highest of the high, the king, and the lowest of the low, even the animals being changed by God's Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit at work on an amazing scale. What a story. An entire city. You hear that and you think, yeah, teach that to the kids. Teach that to the kids. Tell you what, roll credits. That's the end. That's the point of the story. God saves this ginormous city. Amazing. Only it's not the end. There's this weird PS, chapter 4. And having seen in just a few lines what God does in this amazingly large, amazingly sinful city, turning them around to trust in him. All of a sudden we get this private conversation between Jonah and God. And if that isn't weird enough, the entire conversation ends with a question. Jonah says some really bonkers stuff, saying that um, he's seen God at work and he wished he was dead for some reason. I don't know whether that's how you respond when you see people baptised. Oh, Lord, I wish I was dead. This is terrible news. Well, that's, that was Jonah. Um, and that's, the whole book then ends on a question. The final words, the ones that are left ringing in our ears instead of the city being saved are these. Should I not care for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left, and also many animals? Should I not care? This is what Jonah, the book, is all about. The headline of the whole story is this. God cares about the lost. If you've got your Bible, you can scan through the story very quickly and just see that everywhere in the story, there are lost people being pursued by God and found by him. In chapter 1, verse 1, the word of God comes to Jonah. And what's the purpose of the word? It's it's so that lost people would be found. It's to go to Nineveh and preach to them. In chapter 1, we also see these sailors who are caught up in this whole story. They don't know what on earth is going on. They're lost, and yet God finds them, and saves them. Chapter 2, you've got Jonah. He's literally sinking down to the depths of the sea. He says he can see the sea flow. He's that far down. He's lost, and God saves him. Chapter 3, you read about that great city, Nineveh. They're lost, and yet they're found. All the way through, you see Jonah, lost, yet pursued. Sailors, lost, yet pursued. Nineveh. Lost yet pursued. Look at it another way. If you were going to finish the book of Jonah, how would you finish it? Would you finish it with that amazing story of revival in Nineveh? Perhaps. That's how I would. You know, you want to share and to celebrate the great, powerful things that God can do in this world. What a fantastic ending. Perhaps you'd like to actually know what happened to Jonah afterwards. What lessons did Jonah learn? What did he go on to do next? What's kind of like the sequel to Jonah's great preaching revival in Nineveh? But that's not how it ends. That's not how the Holy Spirit has breathed out the book of Jonah in our scriptures, is it? Instead, he finishes with this question, should I not care? And it forces us to answer that question and to come to the conclusion, of course, God should care. The whole message of Jonah is that God cares about the lost. Whether you see God having his way all the time, whether you see him powerfully in control, whether you see him acting graciously or mercilessly, it's all so that lost people can be found. From sailors to cities, weird prophets and everything in between, the remarkable truth you read in the book of Jonah is this, that God Cares about lost people. It is remarkable. In such a short book, how much seeking and finding and saving God does. It's remarkable. But it's not surprising, is it? The point of the book of Jonah isn't to surprise us that God is like this. This is God who we're dealing with. He's already shown himself, declared himself to be exactly like this. When Jonah um, quotes what God is like in chapter 4, he's quoting how God described himself, revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 33. And this is the words that we read. I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness one who relents from doing harm. At least all the way back until Moses led the people out of Egypt, they have known that God is a saving God, that God cares about the lost. This isn't a new lesson. This isn't a fresh revelation that Jonah or we get. This isn't something new that God has learned. This is who God has always been. A God who cares for the lost. A God who cares for the lost. And I'll tell you, that is tremendous news for us this morning, isn't it? What fantastic news. And, and it's not just that God is who he is and he cares for Jonah and he cares for Nineveh. It's not even um, that God rescued the people out of Egypt. But what's really good news for us today is that he continues to be this kind of God jesus in luke's gospel it's a orderly account of jesus's life death and resurrection if you want to go and have a look at it he really really labors this point in chapter 15 he shares three par- parables it's three stories that have this recurring theme um recurring message um a sheep goes astray it's lost and it's found a coin disappears it's lost And it's found. There's a son who turns his back on his family. He is lost and he is found. And it's like Jesus is laboring this point about God seeking out, finding the lost. And if people didn't even get it from that, in chapter 19, verse 10, he just literally spills the beans and he says this. The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's amazing, isn't it? God has always been a God of the lost. You come to the book of Jonah and you see him being a God of the lost. And then even Jesus comes and declares it. I am still a God of the lost. That is what I am all about. And that is tremendous news because whoever we are this morning, we fall into one of two camps. One of two camps. Where either people who come today lost, far from God, separated from God for whatever reason, And are in need of a rescue. Or we come as people who have experienced that rescue. Not born into the world as found people. But born as lost people who have been found by God's grace. What's the lesson to learn? You may be far from God. But this is what God wants. He wants you to come close. He wants to find you. He wants to be reunited with you through Jesus. What a lesson for those of us who have been found to remember. That though our sins were like scarlet, they have been washed white as snow. That though we were enemies of God, that's how Paul describes us in the letter to Colossians. Enemies, hostile, evil in our thinking towards God. We can now call him Father. Father. We were lost, but we have been found. You may be lost. You can be found. What are you waiting for? Do you think that you need to come a little bit closer to God? to, To get a little bit nearer so that his arm can reach out to you? Don't be daft. Think of Jonah. He had to run literally in the opposite direction. Think of Nineveh. It just sat there in its sin. Think of the sailors they had no idea that they were part of this massive story you cannot be too lost you cannot be too far away from God trust me God doesn't care too little he cares about lost people like you if you need God he is there for you if you have found Jesus then let's give praise and glory to God for that There's something else I want to tease out of this story, though, as we think about Jonah and this lost-seeking God. Something more in the story. And it's just one small detail that I think will challenge us in, in how we live our lives for God. And it's this. In pursuing the lost, we see that God uses imperfect people. He uses people who aren't up to the task when you think about jonah what do you think the character the prophet the preacher do you think here's a guy you can't imagine that imagine having that power fill where you could stand up in the middle of swansea preach a message and the entire city get saved Whoa, jonah hero of the faith what a legend is he Is Jonah a hero, or is he a villain? Hero, surely. He's he's one of the ones we put in the good guy list. (coughs) Through him, this boat of sailors and this city gets saved. Come on, Sam, you know what you're on about. You've been to Bible college, hero, good guy. Well, if he is a hero, he's certainly not the typical sort, is he? My favourite kind of hero, this is confession time now, I don't know what it says about me psychologically, but you know when you're watching films and TV shows, there's two types of heroes. They're the ones who are obviously goodies from the start. Blue eyes, blonde hair, just saying the sweetest things, doing the kindest things, you know. They're, they're, they're just the hero and it's obvious straight away like that. And then you've got the other kind of heroes. The rogues, the bad boys who turn good, or at least deliver in the end. They don't really... They've got prickly personalities. They don't really mind who they upset. But in the end, they come through and save the day. Um, They're my favourite kind of heroes. I I like watching TV shows where someone is like a bit of a bad boy, but he's got a good heart on him. You know, he does right in the end. It really winds my wife, Charlotte, up because she likes the other type. And you should have been able to tell that she likes the other type because, obviously, from the start... Um, that's correct. Um, But you know that the sort of hero, I think you might call them anti-heroes or something like that, up until the point of rescue, you haven't really decided about them. But then they come through, then they deliver, and yes, okay, they were wonderful and amazing the whole time. How many of us actually look at Jonah and think that he's that kind of hero? Yeah, he's got plenty of bad things going on in his past, but he comes to a point, he comes to a realisation about God and about himself. And then, boosh, there's no stopping him. Nineveh saved. How many of us think like that? I'm going to challenge you this morning and say, if you think that, you couldn't still be further from the truth. Whatever part of the story of Jonah you remember, (laughs) if it's just about the whale, if it's about the city, if it's about the question at the end, don't remember Jonah as uh, as a story where at any point he is regarded as a good guy or a hero. I'm going to say it. He's not. He's simply not. At best, by chapter four, Jonah is like that stubborn teenager who does what you've told him to do just to shut you up. That's the only reason he's obeying, just to get the nagging voice gone off his back. There's no doubting he's changed through the story. When we meet him in chapter one, um, he runs from God's call. He is a disobedient xenophobe. Does that make sense? He's a disobedient xenophobe. He doesn't want to listen to God because he hates that people, that nation, that city, whatever it is. And by the time the call of God comes a second time on the beach, in chapter 3, he's changed. He's now an obedient xenophobe. His heart really hasn't changed at all. It took me years of reading Jonah to spot this, but if you, if you kind of zoom in on chapter 4, i'll reread verses one to five to you remember at this point nineveh has just been saved on mass they've repented from their past ways and they've thrown themselves on the mercy the love the compassion of god and what does jonah do read these with me but to jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry what sort of reaction is that He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I think I've got a different translation here. Um, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now just think about this. He's seen Nineveh saved on this gigantic scale. He's literally come out and said, it, oh, I'm angry about this, Lord. It would have been better if I'd have died than these guys to have been saved. And then verse 5, what's he doing? He's going to sit and watch and hope above all things that God was going to change his mind and bring the destruction that he first promised. Jonah is devastated that Nineveh has responded. He's devastated that they've come to the same saving faith he thought he had in God. He's not a hero He's not a hero who begrudgingly obeys. He's a hero who's devastated, he says, to the point of death when he sees God at work. I'm laboring this because I want you to see. God pursues these lost people, the sailors.